Let us turn to the book of Esther, the passage that we'll be considering shortly in our service. And this morning the passage is chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. God willing, we'll continue in our study in the book this evening. Esther, chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. On that night, the king could not sleep. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honour or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honour? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honour more than me? And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honour, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honour, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city proclaiming before him Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. 
But Haman hurried to his house, mourning, and with his head covered. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. And we end our reading at the close of this 13th verse. We'll come back to it in a moment after we have praised God again. For our third psalm today, we turn in the smaller Psalter to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, we're singing two very short portions together, verses 25 to 27, and then 30 to 31. Page 75 in the Psalter. Verses 25 to 27, then over the page 30 and 31. But the Lord will never leave the just within the wicked's hands, nor let the righteous be condemned when he in judgment stands. Verse 27, I saw a wicked, ruthless man spread like a lush green tree. He passed away, was not. I looked, but found he could not be. 25 to 27 and 30 and 31. Let us worship God together. Thank you. 
and I've had the privilege of ministering this spring and summer. I've been looking with you at passages from the book of Esther, uh, and we come uh, this morning to the study on chapter 6, chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. I think a key verse, well, it's mentioned six times in the passage. The king, the man whom the king delights to honour. The man whom the king delights to honour. We've often seen in our lives that small individual crisis is just as serious for the people involved as crisis on a very, very big scale. A serious illness, or even death, doesn't usually make huge headlines. But to the family or the individual concerned, that is no less overwhelming than a war in which thousands die. Their life their experience, what's going to happen to them. In Esther, we know now that the people of God are under threat. That threat has been made to them by the king. It's going to be carried out by the end of the year, by Haman, his prime minister. And it's progressing towards that time. Esther has received kindness from the king. And a lot of the Jews are hoping that somehow God will bless them through Esther. The king, of course, has no idea that Esther's a Jewess. But there's a new danger for one man. Her uncle, Mordecai. In a few hours, Mordecai is going to be hanged or impaled on a stake. The Hebrew may mean either. A horrible, horrible death. And Mordecai now is at the very edge of his grave. Perhaps there are some rays of hope for the Jewish people. But for this individual, what hope is there? There seems none. What's going to happen? He's bound to die. God delights in reversals. We've often sung Psalm 113. He raises the poor from the dust to make them sit with princes. And that's what God loves doing for his people again and again. And that's what we'll see here. This event happening. Raising his poor Mordecai from the dust to make him sit with the king. The man whom the king delights to honour. But how does that happen? And what implications are there in this passage for you and me. Well, I'd like to look 
at this from three angles. First of all, we see that God controls events. God controls events. Verse 1 is the turning point. On that night, the king could not sleep. It seems to have been the practice of great tyrants and huge kings at that time in that part of the world. You remember at the beginning of Daniel chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, the spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't sleep. A huge disaster. We're told that Darius or Darius was concerned about Daniel and sleep fled from him. Daniel 6.18 And here's his son and he's not sleeping. His insomnia isn't explained. But we know why he's not. God is in heaven that very night and he's causing this great king to lie awake for hour after hour. What will he do? Now there was no night, late, late, late night television. You see it's such an awful thing to think of that I can hardly even pronounce it. There's no late night television in those days. But of course a king could have had lots of possibilities. Wine, women and song. But we're told in verse 1 that he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds and chronicles and they were read before the king. He's obviously interested in getting back to sleep as soon as possible. And they bring to him this large book and they start reading. And the, the theory is that this book will put him back to sleep. What passage did they happen to read? Verse 2. It was found written how Mordecai had told about Big Thana and Teresh who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Friends, God led these men to read those very words from that very page in that stage in the book. They had no real reason to do it. He didn't ask for it. But God knew and God wanted him to hear these words. And we then what happens in verse 3. And the king said, What honour or distinction was bestowed on Mordecai for this? It had happened recently. Mordecai had acted very positively for the king. The king remembers it. He hadn't thought about it very much at the time. Nobody had honoured Mordecai. Nobody had praised him. Nobody had rewarded him. He had just drifted off again. But now the king hears it and he remembers. And if we read history, we see that the Persian kings were meticulous in rewarding those who were loyal to them. Providing encouragements 
to them to warn about the future plots. So there's some unexplained reason. Verse 3, nothing had been done for him. So Ahasuerus decides that Mordecai must be rewarded. He should have been rewarded at the time. He had forgotten about it. Everybody had forgotten about it. But now they've opened a, 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 a local book and they've read and the king is reminded. And friends, we can see how God is choreographing every detail. God is to bring about the result he intends. Mordecai is about to be murdered at the end of this night. This very night, the king is sleepless. He asks for a book. They bring a particular book and they open it at a particular place and they begin reading a particular passage and a very unusual forgetfulness is discovered. And any of these factors could have been missing. Any of these factors could have been missing. I mean, the king might have been awake another night. He might have thought of something else to do at midnight. The man might have brought another book. They might have opened it another page. And if any of those things had happened... Mordecai would have died the next morning. If any one of those events had been changed slightly, Mordecai would have died the next morning. But nothing there is happening. Nothing of these things. Here's a wonderful pointing to the precision and the timing of God's working. A number of things happen. Each could have been different. But when they're all together, having happened as God intended them to happen, there is a result which was God's result and God's purpose. And friends, it's, it's, it's important to realize that God is working in precisely the same way for all of us. In all of our lives, God's still the same attention to detail. Always, everywhere, specifically in your life, in my life, in the lives of those we care about, in the lives of those we have interest for. God is overruling every single detail what happens. Now, often, it doesn't seem like that. It doesn't seem like that. The events seem random. What happens to us seems meaningless, or puzzling, or harsh. We can't discern any pattern, any purpose. But it is there. It is there. God is overruling. Sometimes we can understand a little bit of it. 
Sometimes we can see glimpses of a finished plan, but usually we can't. Usually we're like people looking at the back of a piece of embroidery. And all you see is a jingled mess. Little things coming up, different colours, different shapes, rather ugly, rather stupid. Nothing, nothing. What is that? And then it's turned round. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. And often that's our lives. We can't now see the pattern. We can't always see where we're going or what's going to happen. But in God's time, it's going to be turned around. And we're going to see it. And we're going to see the beautiful, beautiful picture that God was creating in our lives and for us. It's beauty and it's shape. One of the wonders of heaven is going to be to discover by God all that he's done for us. All that has happened in our lives and our friends and the sense made, the explanation given. Oh yes, that's what was, that's why that was in that way. That's why that happened. That's why I had that difficulty. That's why I hurt there. That's why I struggled. That's why I had no answer. I see it all now. There is an answer. Perfect answer. A wonderful answer. We never, never forget, as Paul put it in Ephesians 1.11, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Friends, that's surely a huge encouragement. Surely that's the secret of peace and contentment. I can't understand these things. I love God. I'm seeking to serve God. I don't know why he's allowing to happen what's happening in my life. I can't explain it. But I trust him. And the day will come when I will understand it perfectly. God controls events. Secondly, God judges the wicked. God judges the wicked. When we last saw Haman, everything in his life was going well. He had been honoured by the queen. He had been invited to have coffee or whatever with her and her husband. And he'd heard that he had been invited again the next day for the same thing all over again. Very honoured by the queen. His, he'd had the gallows built for his enemy and there they were waiting to kill him. He was looking forward to the next day when he would see this man murdered. Chapter 5 verse 9 Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. That's how he felt. But this was the last joyful day of life. Do you remember what God had said in Proverbs 16:18? Pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. 
king asks for advice. And the king who's chronically indecisive, we know that from history, asks for advice on rewarding Mordecai, how to do it. Verse 4, who is in the court? Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged. Here's the God, God's perfect timing again. The king asks Haman, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honour? Haman can hardly believe his words. Such a wonderful, blessed, encouraging, tremendous thing. That's how the king describes what he's going to do to him. The king loves him. The king had him with his wife the previous day in a little get-together of three. What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honour? Haman can hardly believe his ears. Verse 6, whom would the king delight to honour more than me? Here's a perfect opportunity to spell out his desires and so on. But look at what happens. Verses 8 and 9. This is what Haman suggests, advises. Let the royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head the royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. That's me. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honour. That's me. And let them lead him on a horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honour. You can always imagine it difficult to understand Haman saying all this without laughing and cheering and jumping up and down. The king has said, what can I do to the man I love and honour and want to show respect to? Tell me, Haman. Haman doesn't want to say everything, but he says quite a few things that will get the king started in a good way. His status, his ego, his self. And to his horror, to his horror, he is told to do this for the person he thinks to be his bitterest enemy and whom he hates most. I think as I read it over and over again, there almost seems to me almost a comic element in the delaying of the name. Who is it to be? Verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take robes and a horse, as you have said, and do so. Yes, yes, yes. yes. To Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you've mentioned. Can't you imagine the man's face, the horror, the trembling, the his worst nightmare. He has to obey this. He has to obey it right through. And then he goes home in despair. 
Verse 13, mourning and with his head covered. And his wife and his advisors realize he is finished. He is on the way down. Verse 13, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. Friends, we'll come more to this, God willing, this evening. But we can see already here one example of how God brings down the wicked. God brings down the wicked. Here is a powerful, successful man. He's the prime minister. He's the king's favorite. He has established an edict for the destruction of the Jews. Everything is in his favor. But he has made a crucial mistake. He has set himself against God's people. And thus against God himself. I forget whether we said it earlier. But this man Haman was a descendant of Agag. The king of the Amalekites. The people who had brought ruin on themselves by fighting against Israel. You can read about it in Exodus 17. They'd fought the people of God. And here's a true descendant of his people. Here's a type of the enemies of God. Here's a picture of Christ against him. Verse 13. If Mordecai, before whom you begun to fall, is from the seed of the Jews, you will not overcome him. You're fighting somebody. You hate somebody. You want to kill them. Who is that? It's the seed of the Jews. And that shows who you are. And that shows what's going to happen to you. This is an attack inspired by the devil. That's where it's going from. Against the seed of the woman. Through whom the salvation is to come to the world. Friends, I'll not take time on it. But we've had many, many Hamans since. And many Hamans in the world today. And all of them will come to the same end. We were singing about them in Psalm 37. Verses 35 and 36. I have seen a wicked ruthless man. Spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away. And behold he was no more. Though I sought him. He could not be found. The enemy of God. The enemy of God's people. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be anxious about them. The devil and all his instruments have already been doomed at Calvary. And friends, and I mean the word friends. Am I speaking to somebody today? And you're still rejecting Jesus Christ. You're still fighting against 
Jesus Christ. And let me say that unless you repent, unless you turn to him and seek salvation through him, you are destined for destruction. Destruction forever. And it will be sudden and it will be unlooked for. And it will be awful as it was for Haman. Be terrified as you looked at Haman. And see what has happened to him. This is the man or woman of God, of the devil. Then that brings us thirdly and briefly to our final point. We've seen already that God controls events. And then God judges the wicked. But now God honours his servant. God honours his servant. Mordecai, who's going to be killed, is completely helpless. Esther doesn't know yet of the plot against his life. She hasn't heard of it. Even if she did know, there was probably nothing she could do. And he had nobody else on earth to defend him. Not a single one. Mordecai's life is almost over. That's the fact. And yet, by the end of the chapter, we will see him supremely honoured, riding through the streets, acclaimed and praised. How has this happened? You know the answer. God has done it all. God has done it all. There is no human intervention here of any kind in Mordecai's experiences. It is from God from first to last. His servant down in the depths is now going to be exalted to the heights. Exalted solely and completely by God, whom he honoured and served. I mentioned the phrase which we see six times in the passage. And I think there's real meaning in it, in a deeper sense. The man whom the king delights to honour. The woman whom the king delights to honour. Here's a picture of the Son of Man. He's apparently at the mercy of his enemies. He's hanging, dying on a cross, amid mockery. He's about to be finished forever. And yet we know that we will see him raised high, above all, by the God in whom he trusted. Against all odds, God honours his servant Jesus. Against all odds, 
God honours his servant Jesus. Are you honouring the man whom the king delights to honour? Young people, are you honouring the man whom the king delights to honour? If not, what can I say about you? And it's true also of every faithful servant. Ahasuerus had forgotten what Mordecai had done for him. Our king never forgets. Our king will never say, who did this for me? Mordecai is an essentially humble man. He is this triumph. But there's no party. And we read in verse 12. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. Back to work as usual. That's what he's doing. Back to work as usual. God delights to honour the humble. God delights to honour the humble. Dear friends, let this fill our hearts with joy today. The world disregards us. The world despises us. It doesn't matter. God cares for us. And it's true of every single person in God's kingdom. It's true as we think of those who have passed from earth and entered to heaven. Perhaps in the last days, recently, this week, children of God, servants of God, they weren't well known in the world. But God loved them. And they matter. Matthew twenty-five thirty-four. following. Come, you blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. As you did it, to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you that you're in control. We thank you that the wicked are brought down, punished by you. More than that, O oh God, we thank you that every servant of yours is raised up, is protected, is brought after death to a place of great glory and beauty and loveliness. Father, we thank you that as we read this passage again and think of some we love who in the last weeks or months or years have been taken from this earth and think O Lord of the glory 
with which they have been received, and of the joy of the Savior for them as he puts his arm round them, as he lifts them up, as he calls them his beloved, as he commends them to others. So, Lord, help us to be lifted up in our own hearts and to seek to live in the same way. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.